always wanting to grow as a filmmaker. And for me, that is like as simple as throwing myself in the deep end and figuring it out, which generally means doing something new. Welcome back to another episode of This Industry Life Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Brandon Haskell. And I'm your co-host, Anthony Wilson. Your producer, Katie Garland-Noble. Today we have a very talented guest, Stefan Hunt, who is a director who has had several staff picks on Vimeo. He's directed commercials for Nike. Um, he's done a lot of nonprofit work. He also has a lot of his own passion projects that are remarkable that you should definitely check out at the end of this podcast. Um, but today we have a conversation with Stefan about his work, his process, and his life. So welcome, Stefan. Our first question is, um, I guess we'll start. What drew you to make that surf documentary, Surfing the 50 States, at, I think you were like 18, and like, how did that make you the filmmaker you are today? Like, how did that set the tone for you? Yeah, that trip, that, that whole experience of Surfing 50 States essentially projected me into this world that I just didn't know existed, which is filmmaking and also just following intuition and pursuing passions. Like, I was fresh out of high school, in Australia, it's a big part of our culture to take a gap year. So that's where you take one year off between university and, and high school. And generally you go traveling and just party and have fun and do whatever it is that you want to do. And I've just always, I was always drawn to adventuring and surfing. And so a friend of mine threw out this idea to me, why don't we go and you know travel around America and get to all 50 states? This was when I was in high school and I thought that's the coolest way to spend my gap year is just travel around the States. And then the more we thought about it and researched it, and this is like pre-YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all of that. Um, we found that not many people had done the whole 50 state trip. And so we thought we could be like Guinness World Record holders for doing something in every single state. And so we, um, we ended up thinking of all different things. And then the one thing that we had in common that we loved more than anything was surfing. And a friend said, why don't you surf in all 50 states? And we said the thing that everyone says, like that's impossible, there's all these landlocked states. And then she said, just stretch the definition of surfing, find new ways to like ride, ride a board, um, whether that's down like the snow or you know behind a big oil tanker in Texas that creates a wave or behind, you know, um, quad bike in, I don't know, or like down potatoes in Idaho, whatever it is, just ride a surfboard. And so we went and did this trip and then came home and edited that movie. And the plan the whole time was just to make something to show our grandkids someday. Because still, like I was planning on going to university the next year to study primary school teaching because I thought that was a good end to like still hanging out with kids and being childish. And we ended up premiering this movie and then it, got into things called film festivals, which we didn't know what they were before that. And it then got commissioned to be on TV. And this was a whole world we didn't know about either. 
And then it just kind of projected me into the next five years of making films completely naive to the whole industry. I just like kind of floundered my way through it. Um, and then from there that led to commercial directing. Your whole ambition is to entertain children. And I really want to, I'm really curious about like how you, you conduct your, why you conduct your art in such a way um, to entertain children. Yeah, I guess like there's a story that goes when I was eight years old, my dad asked me what I wanted to be when I was, you know, a grown up. And I said, oh, I want to be a children's entertainer, which is such a funny thing to want to be when you're eight, because that's generally, I, I, like, I don't even know how I knew what it was. But for me, I would always look at grown ups and just think, you guys are so boring, or you just take things way too seriously. Um, and so I just, from when I was a kid, I never wanted to lose that kind of childlike wonder. And so the older you get, obviously, the more the world weighs on you and you go through tough life experiences and it's really hard to maintain that childlike wonder. It's actually super difficult. But I think that's why I use my films to try to capture that energy. So for one, it, you know, keeps it within me. It keeps that alive. I go in with a very conscious feeling of like, how would I look at this through the eyes of eight-year-old Stefan? And then for my audience, which is predominantly, you know, adults or all ages, but, you know, a lot of people our age watching it, I want to kind of unlock their inner child as well when they watch it. That's the most important thing for me because I think when you lose your inner child, life becomes really boring and you've only got one life. So I want people to kind of go through the world with that wonder and awe that they had when they were little. Yeah, as adults, it's so easy to be like, oh, I just got this bill or oh, la, 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 life, you know. And so I just, I don't know. I think it's so beautiful that you have that consistent theme. I admire it. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it, again, like the thing that I've come to to learn is it, it's nearly like a, a muscle or something that you actually have to work or you lose it because especially last year, like 2020, I feel just like the mental trauma that that caused a lot of people like so many things in the world just kind of turned to shit and it's pretty hard to just you can't go through the world and just be like oh everything's sunshine and rainbows because it's it's not like there's a reality that things get tough but there's also I feel like the art that I'm drawn to is um sometimes the stuff that can just make the serious silly and and um I don't know, it's able to communicate something that is quite deep or thought-provoking, but in just a, a fun way. And, and you need fun. You need to be able to still have that balance. So, um, yeah, I definitely go through waves of being able to, like, um, create that work from a very genuine place. But, yeah, it, it's what I want to have throughout my work, you know, for the rest of my life, for sure. Yeah, you're your uh h2o videos and the way that you filmed those it's just so unique in the way that you feel what the children the child is feeling without it being this dramatic documentary about these kids without water and i just think that you have such an interesting way to approach these these topics these heavy topics in a in a way that we haven't really seen before yeah thanks i mean that that was a really um interesting project because the the brand behind that was Hurley and, and they 
doing this great work around um, you know providing access to clean drinking water to you know developing countries around the world. Um, but they came to me and they said, "Here's the story. We want you to go and make a short documentary about it." And there wasn't a huge budget because it was you know for a charity for a nonprofit um, arm of their company. And so I said, "Oh, I'll, happy to go and do this, but can I have creative control?" And I think they kind of just said yes without realizing I was going to do something completely different. They were expecting just the kind of like moody documentary that. At that stage, I felt like everything within the nonprofit world guilted people into supporting a cause, and I wanted to inspire people into supporting a cause. I wanted to also show that just because you know a kid may lack access to something that we take for granted doesn't mean that kid doesn't dream or doesn't have fun or doesn't be silly and get up to mischief. Like they're they're humans. We're all very similar, and when you can get an audience to kind of connect on our similarities rather than our differences. Then it's just like, oh well, providing that kid with clean water would be the same way I would treat my own kid, and and so I went about it in this very like colourful, magical way, and then I showed it to Hurley, and they just sat on it for quite a long time because they were they weren't sure about it, they were quite worried about releasing this film because it it didn't have that like black and white slow motion moody element to it, and they kind of just released it under the radar, and then it got all this traction, and then you know. Made them look good, but hey, also supported the charity, which is what it was all about at the end of the day. Do you find yourself when you're traveling or meeting people in New York or wherever you are, like, do you find inspiration from the people you meet and the places you go a lot or? Oh yeah, 100, 100%. I, I think, um, I remember hearing a good documentary filmmaker talk about when you go to make a film, if especially a documentary, if it ends up, um, the same way that you'd intended it to end up that you weren't listening. And I loved hearing that and just thinking when you go into a place and you go to meet people, especially if they're the subject, it's so easy to go with preconceived ideas of what you want it to be. Um, but so much of the time that isn't honest. So you just really have to be present and listen and kind of just shut up <laughs> and just be, and just be there and just observe. And that's when I've found that you just get just like the most real and vulnerable side of people, which always translates onto screen the best. I love that. It kind of reminds me not to like jump this far ahead, but like they saw the sun first. Like, I feel like the people that narrate it are just so like distinct and just so like, how did you like find the subjects for, for that piece? I found the subjects through an incredible casting director called Kate. Uh, Antognini. She's in New York. And she put a call out. I was basically looking for people 75 plus um, for that piece. And she kind of just put this call out and then it became this very grassroots kind of casting where people would go, oh, my granddad lives in like this part of Brooklyn and he's 94 years old and this is his story. And I ended up just with this like kind of self tapes um, of about, I don't know, 60 plus elderly people. And they would just talk about their life for like 15 minutes. And it was the hardest project to like cut people from because there was, you know, everyone from a Holocaust survivor that had moved to New York through to a lady who was over a hundred years old and 
just everything that they've seen and experienced, people that like their neighbours died on the Titanic and things like that, that they're parts of history that are still connected to today's elderly. But again, the whole idea behind that project was to, to actually give them a voice and listen to the elderly um, because I don't have anyone who's old in my life. And so it was so hard to kind of cut down the casting to only, we only interviewed 11 people for that project um, in depth. And I spent hours with them just chatting to them about all aspects of their life. And then from that, obviously cutting down hours and hours of interviews to eight minutes was incredibly difficult. But um, there's some complete gems of wisdom in that piece. I loved the dancing. I loved that. And like the symbolism of like, I don't know that they're almost still dancing no matter how old they are, how, you know, how much they've lived. Um, how, how did that come about with the, the dancing? Was that always your intention to have the choreography? Yeah, yeah, it was. So originally I wanted to have, have kids do the dancing. Like I wanted it to be, you know, little kids, like kind of uh, bringing those words to life. And then the more that my wife and I spoke about it, so she we work a lot together and she's a choreographer and movement director. I think we came to realise that our audience that we were going for was, again, like people our age, young people. The, the goal of the piece was to get them to stop for eight or nine minutes and just to listen to today's elderly, which is actually kind of difficult in this day and age where we're like scrolling on Instagram and, you know, things for 15 seconds unless they like capture your attention, you're out quick like immediately and so we set ourselves this challenge of we always use this word mesmerizing and dance to us has always been this mesmerizing art form where just watching the human body move knowing that you have the same limbs that they have most likely and that someone can do something just with their body and physicality that like nearly sends you into a trance we always loved the idea of using dance and then I guess taking these gems of wisdom and mapping those gems onto someone's body through movement. And so, you know, from there, obviously New York is one of the most, um, you know, important places to dance and street dance in particular from hip hop to Vogue um, to house to all these different styles. And so we, we had access to these incredible young dancers and so the whole kind of little formula that we went into this with was make young people listen to today's elderly, do that through mesmerizing them and sending them into a trance and essentially like make it accessible and, and cool and aesthetically something that people want to watch. So they're nearly watching it for that reason. And then they get sucked into something that is much deeper very quickly. Um, but, you know, in the edit process, I was watching it, pulling my hair out, being like, this is the worst. It's not working. And then by the end of it, I was actually extremely proud of where it ended up, which is rare for me. I, I usually don't love, like love where my projects end up, but that one I did because it felt like something bigger than me. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I love what you said about the trance because I feel like the combination of like the, the elderly's like wisdom uh, with the voiceover, the dancing, and then just, this is just a question for me because I love FKJ. Like what was the choice to have his like it sounded like I know it's one of his songs off his EP but I feel like you might have elongated it I don't know if you like worked with him um but what was the choice behind using his music and working with that artist I'm also a huge fan of his music 
And um, I was lucky enough when I moved to New York, I became friends with his manager. So I ended up meeting FKJ and um, going to you know his concert. But my wife and I loved his music long before that. And he sent me that song like before it was released and it was something that I kind of just had sitting on my computer and would listen to it. And when we got to, you know, editing these voices together, because we actually had to have the voice and the music all dialed in before filming, like that was already locked. So then we could like, you know, hit all the beats of, of the da dancing. And we tried all these different tracks and things that were a bit more like hip hop instrumental, mad lib type of stuff. And it just wasn't working. And then my wife, Vanessa, was like, oh, I remember that FKJ track, try that. And we played it and it just immediately like sent shivers like up our spine. We got goosebumps because it just had, it just was at the same wavelength that these words were. And so then, you know, we obviously made the whole, you know, track and then went out and filmed it. And then we we're faced with the classic, I hope he lets us use it. And we went through that whole process. But once he saw the visuals, he was so on board with it that he then um, went back into the studio and then recreated like a version. He scored different elements for the film. So there's like moments that he went back in and like he's such a particular, as you can tell through his music, like multi-talented artist that like he just hit all these extra little beats of our dances. So it was this amazing experience to work with him to get the music as perfect as it was how do you take these these visions that you have in your head these these crazy animations that you have in your videos and these crazy dance moves that we see how do you take those from your head and then transition those to what we see on the screen it's a good question um i guess that is about my process which for me first up i Every kind of idea that I get, I just try to write it down somewhere. Um, whether that's notes in my phone, I really like to have pen and paper and write notes down there. And there's there's just certain ideas that just keep coming back up again and again and again. And then after some time, it's nearly like they're kind of like, you know, pulling my shirt, being like, use me already. And so um, I feel like by the time they're, you know, the right project comes along and these ideas that have just been in this universe floating out here, I get them and I combine them. And like a lot of the time they don't work in my opinion, but then sometimes the, you know, the magic just sparks and it works. So I think it's a combination of that along with always wanting to grow as a filmmaker. And for me, that is like as simple as throwing myself in the deep end and figuring it out, which generally means doing something new, whether that's shooting on film for the first time, doing claymation for the first time, working with a stunt team to have someone flying around on wires for the first time, whatever it is, every passion project, there won't be one that I do where there isn't something that I've never done before because a lot of the time clients aren't going to pay you to experiment. <laughs> so you have to just do it off, you know, your own, your own back. But, um, you know, I think that's also an incredible opportunity just to experiment and see what does and doesn't work. But I don't know if that answers the question. I think it does. I mean, also like how big of uh, your background in like illustration and stuff, how big of an influence does that take in your, your filmmaking life? 
Yeah, I think for me that is just in the same way that I did Surfing 50 States and that was a combination of I love traveling and surfing and I liked making silly films in high school, so that was an extension of that animation and illustration and just anything with color um, and, and that kind of like crafty creativity. They're just things I've done ever since I was like a little kid. And I always just have this mentality of like, well, why can't I combine them? Like, why can't I just put all the things I love into this blender and just make a cocktail of Stefan's mind for the world to see? Um, there's not too much like questioning that goes into it, but I guess the more I mature as a filmmaker, I do now start to, I, I take a bit more time to decide whether or not it's the right thing or whether I'm doing it because I think it's cool or aesthetically awesome versus does this help tell the story? But um, I'm always drawn to people that and filmmakers that use just wild ways to share something that you've seen a million times. That excites me so much. When you watch something and you go, I wish I did that, that's the best feeling. I feel like in all your work, like the animation is there, but I feel like every time, kind of like what you said, you you try to do something different in a way. And do you think clients, but at the same time, your voice is very consistent. Like there's always like a layer of animation or something, but do you feel like a client hires you for, yeah, something previously that you did where like, you know, the talking tree that has that like claymation face on it, or are they expecting something new? Um, yeah, look, I, I would say that more and more these days, um, I think for a client who is putting down the money and to them, it's a risk to do something that they've never done before. If it's been proven that it works, they're like happy to go for it. But the first few projects I, I used animation and they were not like big budget things or it was something where I negotiated like some creative control or, um, you know, I, I feel like for a project to, a client to take the risk, they, yeah, they really need to know it's going to work. And so now that I've got a lot of that stuff on my reel, they're happy to, to, you know, back me and know that it can work. But in the early days, I feel like the way that I get more and more creative scripts through and, and commercial work is purely from doing passion projects, people seeing that I can do it and that they like that. And then one in 10 times, they're like, we want something as risky as that. But I'm sure you guys probably also know in the commercial world, it starts off like this big crazy idea and then it gets watered down over time. Um, so I think passion projects all in all are the ones where you can just go wild and, and not have rules and, and constraints, which is why I'm always drawn to doing them. How, how do you, cause I love that um, even your passion, like personal projects compared to your commercials. I feel like you still kind of pull out your own passions, even in that like more commercial work. Like I feel like your voice, at least in most of the work I saw, was very consistent from the music videos to the personal films to the commercials. How have you like, I don't know if you already kind of answered this, but like developed that style and, and kept it consistent. I think that just comes down to the energy that I try to approach every project with, you know, like, making even a 60 second commercial just sucks so much time out of your day and week and, and months. It can take so long that I really cannot do back-to-back -back projects that are just crushing my soul or that they're just not fun to work on. So like I go in with this very fun approach and then I think that just naturally comes out through what it is that I, that I make. Um, and that's also part 
I'm sure people are coming to me for that. They've seen that, like I did a, a Nike piece last year or the year before that. And the reason they came to me was like, they wanted me to get athletes to let their guard down and just have fun and laugh and kind of show another human side of them. But I only had, you know, maybe four to six hours with each athlete. So that's less about maybe filmmaking. It feels like there's just as much, you know, people skills and psychology that goes into being able to get that kind of performance immediately. And for that, like, I just go into projects and just be this open book and completely vulnerable and kind of just make an idiot of myself. And it just sets a tone that there isn't this hierarchy or I'm not a director that, you know, knows it all and, and talks down to people. I think that's just the worst thing you can do as a director. I think you need to treat everyone with like complete respect um, and no people have worked hard to get to their role. So you need to listen to them because they, they're good at what they do. But if I ever see someone who treats someone terribly, I'll just never work with them again. And no matter how good they are at what they do, it just, it's not something I ever want on my sets. I feel like every director should definitely be like that. And I feel like directors, you know, some people, some directors just already know that, but I feel like directors that have maybe have like worked the, you know, the, the ranks and have done gripping and editing and like all, all the other positions also like know that. Did you, or is that someone you, you just knew or did you like work those other gigs too early on or were you just always director? No, so I, I started out doing the classic because I never went to film school. I'm just all self-taught. I did the classic, like would work with friends and produce and shoot and edit and do all the things. And then I even did a little stint like on an electrics team just to make money at one point. It was like, oh, this isn't for me. I'm definitely not part of this club. Um, but I always wanted to direct the whole way through, but never having a mentor and never having been to school for it, I just naturally thought it was a good idea to just learn as much as I can. And it's definitely benefited me because it, I now know how different departments work and can somewhat speak, you know, the right language to them. Um, but in terms of being able to set, you know, a, a tone and an energy on set, that's definitely taken me years on bigger crews to be able to, to do that because there is an element of, you know, it's intimidating and there's so many people and, you know, how far can I push things or, or um, it, you know, instill my values onto the set. But then I look at the directors that I admire who they are as people and they do that. And so that gives me the confidence to go, no, I think we can have a, a workplace that is fun and hardworking, but most of all respectful. Yeah. I feel like that's a, a perfect thing. Like I've noticed that about your work is that, like you said, you like to be vulnerable and, and open and keep it like a playful experience on set. And I feel like your work definitely comes across that way. At the, but at the same time, I feel like everything's very like meticulously planned, but you still have this uh, this ability to, to play and have fun. So like, what is like, I know it probably differs with each piece, but like, what is pre-production like for you on most projects? Like, how do you keep it so planned, but also playful at the same time? Yeah, that's a great, that's such a good question because I am actually this like Virgo perfectionist, um, which makes it really hard to have this like free flowing. It's loose and it's wild. Like I, I guess I have a very clear vision of what it is that I'm, I'm going for. And 
pre-production is everything. Like the more that you can do in pre, even if like on the shoot day, once you wrap, you're like, oh, I didn't even use all that stuff I prepped. I think just having as much prep as possible, it gives you this confidence in the day where you're like, I've already explored as many options as I can in my head of how this scene could go. But now that I'm here in the moment, this feels the most right. And I feel the most prepped that I can have the looseness and freedom to be like, everyone, let's all move over there and shoot the scene where we were never planned to shoot it because there's something amazing happening there. Um, so I think you need to just be like, I need to be overly planned and, and meticulous so I can go into set and then just, you know, break rules in there, which might sound like a, a cliche, but there's nothing worse than like a, a dry energy on set where people are treating it like a job. Like yeah. if that's what every day on set is, is going to be like, it's not what I want to be doing. So I very much try to take that approach in there and, and um, yeah, just get everyone excited to, to collaborate and, and create something that we're all proud of at the end of the day. As a self-taught like filmmaker, what were, like what were your, I mean, it doesn't have to be films or filmmakers, but like what were your inspirations like starting out and even today, like what do you find yourself gravitating towards or inspiring you? Um, I guess from like a film perspective, I was uh, always drawn to like the creativity of like the Michelle Gondry's and the Spike Joneses just because, you know, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my God, you can tell stories like that and like that's what the inside of my head looks like or like my own variation on that. It, I love the idea that those types of filmmakers gave me a permission to try that and as a result, the more I dive into like, okay, what's my true voice? What's my true aesthetic and style? I hope that that can then give other filmmakers permission to then go and do their thing because, you know, like at different times I'll get um, – you know, an email or a DM message or something from a, you know, a, a young um, filmmaker starting out and I'll say, what's, you know, what's the number one piece of advice? And that's such a hard question to answer, but I'm very convinced that every single human on earth has had their own individual experience on this planet. And therefore you're the only one that sees the world the way that you see it. So share that with the world. Don't try to share the world and your experience in it through someone else's eyes or what you think they're going to like, just be yourself and let that vulnerable storytelling come through. And I guarantee someone will find it interesting because that's what I'm most taken in by is like getting the invite into another world is just the most magical, um, you know, gift that you can share as a filmmaker. So that's, that's a big one for me. And then, Beyond film though, I really love drawing inspiration from things that aren't film because I just think that it's it's good not to get sucked into the bubble um, because otherwise it's very easy just to create what is of the of the trend or of the time. I, th I think you need to draw on things that, whether that's philosophy or listening to a podcast or um, even just hanging out with my nieces and hearing how they talk about the world on like, way cooler references right there than watching you know a million videos online or something so yeah I try to look away from film for inspiration yeah I kind of want to do a 
a break from Instagram for like a month and just see what my process, how my process would change when coming uh, about inspiration and ideas. Because I feel like me being on Instagram constantly, I'm just so influenced by other people's work. A hundred percent. Like I can totally relate to that and have definitely had those chapters where I've just deleted it. Um, And it's amazing how much it's just this, kind of second nature thing we do get our phone out in any spare moment you just go to scroll and when you don't have it there and especially if you've decided i'm going to replace it with just writing down ideas in notes i would just be sitting on the subway in new york and i would just be like writing down all these ridiculous ideas or i'd overhear a conversation and i would just turn that into a little scene and i just feel like it's such great exercise for creativity much more for me than what i would get from just looking at what other people have done I think on your website, you mentioned how you like to create some kind of social impact with your art, whether that's the illustrations or the, the films. And I just, I guess my question is like, what is the importance of that for you? And also like, how do you see that developing in the future of your work? Like, what do you want to do? What, what kind of difference do you want to make socially as an artist? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the perfect question to answer off the back of that last one where after making this, my second documentary somewhere near Tapachula and touring it around, it, it became apparent to me that you can use art for social good. Like before that, again, like I'd never been to film school. I never had mentors. I was just kind of like wandering through this get, like guessing game of making art. And then all of a sudden I saw the impacts that that had everything from awareness to financial support. And from that project onwards, I just kind of, decided that art has this incredible ability to to impact the world socially and, and you know leave it a better place than you found it which is something my mum raised me to to believe that's if you can do that that's that's success and I think that's success as an artist and so for the last um, 12 years since then the the different charities that I've partnered with or even just the different social messages I've tried to kind of um, normalize and then take the taboo out of so people talk about them whether it's around mental health or whatever it is it has all come from my own kind of personal experience or, or what has you know I guess provoked me the most at that point in my life um, and so even with my passion projects they're very much a reflection of the change that I want to see in the world so with they saw the sun first there was this realization when I was talking to an elderly woman here in Australia a few years ago, and she was talking about the importance of eldership and and how so many other cultures that's really valued, but in the West, it's not something that we value. And and that stuck with me. And I thought, okay, I want to make a film that reminds us as young people to, to listen to our elders. And that was my goal with that. And even if that's really small, I do know that after that, people wrote to me telling me how they'd reached out to their grandparents or, you know, to their nursing, local nursing home or whatever. So that is, that's success to me because even if it's on a grassroots level, you just never know what that will lead to. It doesn't have to be changing the whole world. It just has to be changing your world. Um, and so, yeah, every project I do is just a direct reflection of where my, my head and heart is at, at that point in my life as I grow and evolve and make mistakes and do all those things as, as we do as humans. I also, I was looking through your work and I noticed uh, 
yeah, we're going to die. Like that whole installation and the illustration book and also the film. And I guess like, I'm curious on where that all came to be. Like how did, how did death inspire you or what was on your mind that started, you know, that made you want to make that whole project with all your art? Yeah. Yeah. So that project was, um, in 2016, I like went through a pretty challenging period or year of, um, anxiety. And I just, I kind of got to that classic, you know, 27 years old age where I just, I just found life really hard and I didn't have a clear direction for the future. And that kind of just sent me into this vortex and this spin and, and I ended up finding out it was anxiety. And, and so through that process of trying to work through that and learn to live with it through meditation and, um, you know, surfing and dance and, and whatever it is that I did, uh, my dad recommended that I, that I write during that period. And I sat down and wrote this poem one day and the first five words were, we're all going to die. And I'd never thought about death before, but when I wrote those words, it was the most liberating thing I'd ever read in my life. Like this, this actual moment to stop and just sit with this truth that someday every single person that you walk past in the street is going to die. It sounds really intense and, and it, I see how it can sound quite morbid, but it's also so beautiful in that it gives you this perspective or it gave me this perspective that these day-to-day -day fears that were holding me back or this fear of not being able to control my future and make sure I made every right decision so I would end up being this filmmaker I wanted to be or whatever it is, that's all just part of the journey of like the highs and the lows and you'll make mistakes and things will work out and things won't. But at the end of that journey, someday I'm going to die. So why not just relax a little for the rest of it and just accept that there's highs and lows in life. And so that's where that project came from or the, the idea from it came from. But I was actually just at a pub one night with a friend having a beer after a shoot and he was talking to me about mental health and I shared this poem with him that I wrote and I hadn't really shared it with anyone and he read it. And he's like somewhat of a macho guy and stuff. And it's not like we always talk about feelings or whatever, but he just started to tear up and was like, Steph, you have to share this with the world. Like, this is, this is beautiful. And I kind of responded. Um, I, I said no, because straight away from this immediate fear of like, well, I'm not a, I'm not a poet or an author. And like, this is dumb. It's a poem. And, I just said no purely based on this fear of like, it's stupid, people will judge me, I'll be embarrassed, all those day-to-day -day fears that hold us back. And then when I sat with it, I thought, this is what this whole poem is about. It's about like what I call kicking fear in the nuts and just looking at these day-to-day -day things that hold you back and be like, screw you, like this, life's too short to let those things stop you from being vulnerable and sharing your art with the world. And so that led me into a really wild year if I said no to freelance projects for a whole year, like every single thing that came through, no matter what it was or what client it was for, I was like, no, nah, I just want to make this project. And I, I turned the poem into, I, I got it published as a book and turned that into a short film and then turned it into a big immersive art festival that toured around Australia for three years. So um, it definitely like, escalated and snowballed into something much bigger than I ever expected. But that was purely based on, 
I said no to everything and I just locked into this message that I believed in and figured that the only reason someone is going to listen to me about living with less fear is if I lead by example and go for it through my own fears. Um, and yeah, that project has had a huge impact both on me and, and a lot of other people that I know have written me some pretty powerful emails over the last few years, for sure. I guess for this new year, where do you see um, with, it could be film or the, the art, the illustrations and things you do too. Like um, what do you plan on achieving this year? What, what, what's like pulling at your heart? Like what, what do you want to make or what do you have that's currently being made? That's not out yet. If you can speak on it. Yeah, sure. So um, I guess I'm living back in Australia now. So that's like a big change for me from living in New York. And with that, um, last year was just trying to like find my feet the whole year as probably a lot of people were with 2020. But this year I feel like I've kind of just found a bit of stability and now there's just this sense of there's nothing certain anymore. You know what I mean? After last year, like anything can happen and you need to have this resilience and, and ability to kind of just go with the flow. But with that, I feel like it's given me this sense of um, freedom just to bounce around between things that like whatever I'm feeling at that time, just to dive right into it and just to go for it and and, and um, nearly work on it with this sense of energy and, and immediacy because you just don't know what's around the corner, right? So um, this year I, I've been playing with this idea of doing a sequel to We're All Gonna Die, which is called We're All Gonna Live. And it's kind of based on 2020 and, and everything we went through as a, as a world. And, and it's really, it's not even so much about the word live in there. It's about the first two words, we're all, and it's just about humans and reconnecting and, you know, um, encouraging compassion because I just feel like we're just at the most divided we've ever been. Um, and I think we all know that we need to be able to stop and listen to one another and come together. So I want to try to use my art to do that this year, uh, which, you know, no small, no small task, world peace, um, just, just casually. But again, like even if it's just one or two lives impacted, that's always a great thing. Right. So that's what I want to do on a, on a bigger level and I don't know what that looks like. So it's exciting that I've kind of now publicly said that I feel like I've um, thrown myself out there. It's terrifying, but that's good. Um, beyond that, there's also just, I've just always got these silly little ideas and I think it's fun just to just, just be silly and, and make things that, um, you know, even if they're not the best things you've ever made, just do it like for yourself to have a laugh and then to just whoever else might find it funny. So there's a few very silly projects in the works as well. Um, so yeah, I'm sure you'll you'll know when they get released. You'll be like, oh, that's what Steph was talking about. That's ridiculous. Um, the world needs that too right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I need that too. Like, I can't just always focus on like in depth serious things. It just it actually has it. It weighs way too heavy on me like I think I'm quite a soft person in that way that if I do I just go into a dark place I need fun and light and brightness to kind of keep this balance um 
And it just so happens that other people also need that as well. So hence why I, I try to share it. <laughs> You're being sent to Antarctica for three years and you can only take three movies with you. What three movies do you take? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, okay, so I would take, um, I would take Boy, which is a film by Taika Waititi. Um, that's one of my, that's one of my favorites, all time. Sorry, I've always saw a little Taika in your work. I just had to, like your own style. Like I just, sorry, but, I don't know if that's. I hate saying that. I hate comparing. Yeah. That's completely fine. You can, because okay. like. <laughs> You know, like it's, I, um, I'm 100% influenced by that guy. I love what he's able to do through his work. Um, so I would take that movie. Okay. I would take, oh, I would take just like an action film that I can just watch over and over a million times. So probably um, The Dark Knight. I just feel like it's just like what I go to when I'm on a plane and I, I know what's going to happen, but I just love the performances in it. And it's just, I think you just need a film like that. So I've got like a comedy, I've got just like an action and then probably just something that um, emotionally tears me apart. Um, what would that be? Maybe off the top of my head, like Beasts of the Southern Wild. It's about a, a little kid down in um, kind of like Louisiana, New Orleans oh. and in the kind of is it the bayou kind of country they call yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it's just a little kind of like somewhat of an indie film that came out maybe five or six years ago. Again, very much like a, a, a magic to that film, but it also, um, there's an energy to it that kind of like just tears me apart when I watch it. But that's a tricky one to answer. That's Do you plan on, I guess, my, I don't know how much time you have. Probably my last question. I don't know if you guys have any others, but do you plan on making a feature one day, Stefan? Oh, 100%, 1,000%. Like I can't wait to make long form. Um, it's just, for me, it's not a matter of um, like, if I'll do it, it's just more a matter of when do I feel that I can do something um, that is worthy of what I want it to be. I just know how much of an investment it is. And there's certain elements of filmmaking that I feel really confident in. And then others that I feel like there's so much room to grow that um, I'm just kind of like, just, just waiting until the time feels right. But I think within the next few years, I'd like to be working on my first feature for sure. Um, so yeah, watch this space. Hopefully it's going to be as crazy and ridiculous and wild as anything else I've done. I can't wait. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, shout out to your wife. She's so beautiful and she's such a beautiful dancer. And um, yeah, so just want to just put that out there. She seems like an incredible and very powerful woman. And yeah, I, I love her work. Yeah, she is incredible and such a source of inspiration for me to have someone like that in my household, um, in our household. It's, it's, I, it, we act as such a good reminder to one another of like always taking a step back and reminding ourselves like what it is that we do and why we do it. Like the why is so important to us that we'll pull each other up very quickly if we're ever kind of going off the rails down a path that isn't at the core of, of why we got into this in the first place, which goes back to your kind of question before Anthony about like social impact and the importance of that. Like I just think everyone in the world 
has some kind of skill that they've been blessed with, like whether it's art form or whether you're an accountant or no matter what it is, and that can be used for good. Simple as that. Amazing. That's a good way so to close it out. Good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're so, uh, you're so inspiring and like very, very wise beyond your years. And yeah, like seriously, you inspired the hell out of me tonight for us tonight. And yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah. It was such a pleasure, dude. Yeah, totally. Thanks so much for having me. I really, yeah, really appreciate it. It's great to talk to people. Even I really appreciate your questions. They're like, it was very obvious that you guys also have a very strong sense of values and moral compass. And it's not just all about like, what lens did you use and this, this and that, like, which I know like isn't, I know it's interesting, but like, I think it's important that we as filmmakers and artists talk about like something much, I don't know, just like real or different or deeper, whatever you want to call it. It's cool to make that normal as well. So yeah, thanks for your questions. They were awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, guys. I will. Likewise, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, y'all, for joining us. Uh, again, special thank you to Stefan Hunt. Uh, it was it was a true pleasure. And uh, if you like what we're doing, give us five stars, rate, review, and share this with your friends. And you can find us on Instagram at this industry life podcast you can email us at thisindustrylife at gmail.com and a whole bunch of other stuff is in the show notes love ya bye thanks guys love you